Okay, good morning to you all. Morning. Welcome to the 100-pounder um, workshop. I'm Judith. I'm a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this session. Hi. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. The format for the session is as follows. We're going to have three speakers for 20 minutes each, followed by 15 minutes of questions and answers, finishing up with 15 minutes of open pitches. This session is being taped, so you'll need to sign the tape release form if you are going to share at the end. Please turn off all your cell phones for the duration of this meeting, and remember that it is against our tradition of anonymity to take photos during this meeting. As I said, the topic of this session is the 100 pounders. Our first speaker this morning is Don. Don will speak for 20 minutes. Please welcome Don. Hi, my name is Don. I'm a cultural reader. And I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for letting me speak. Uh, I came into program, back into program on February 16, 2002, and at that time I weighed 475 pounds. I have some pictures here. This, this actually picture is kind of remarkable because I let somebody take a picture of me with my shirt off, and there are actually not very many pictures from that time. This is my belt from that time. I know this is going to come through on the tape. But <laughs> I was always fat as a kid, never had a whole lot of friends. My main relationship was with food. Uh, my first memory was um, I was four or five years old and had this one aunt that made this uh, cake called a Linza Torta. And um, I see her coming up the walk with this, you know, foil wrapped thing. And it's like my crack has arrived. And I'm running up and running around the house screaming, Tandalenza Torta, you know, and it's my drug is here. Um, one of my other you know, early memories is I was in this summer camp, I think it was like 12, and um, they had this horrible chipped beef on toast, and I was complaining bitterly about it to this counselor, and he didn't understand why I wanted seconds and thirds. You know, if it's so horrible, why are you eating it? So it didn't matter to me because it was just more and more and more and more, and that's how my eating was. Um, you know, I never had a whole lot of friends, never had a whole lot of relationships, never really learned how to do um, a lot of interaction with, with people, and especially women. I was, I was afraid. I had one, you know, girlfriend for a few months in college, but um, that, was, that was kind of it. I was alone a lot of the times. I was, you know, always the fat kid who was, you know, not, without a, with a, lot of, with, not with a lot of friends. And then um, I got to be, I was 24 and living in the city, and I was about 280 at the time, and I tried doing these three 21-day fasts, and I lost, you know, 80 pounds and got to the 200 pounds, which is sort of like this perfect number, magic weight kind of thing where all my, you know, dreams come true and all that stuff. And, you know, all of a sudden my head was a little better, and I started, like, being able to date and had a, a series of relationships, and I mean, you know, I didn't know what I was doing, so they were kind of short-term, most of them. The last one was five years, and 
Um, we have a son, he's 21 now, and uh, he uh, had to do another program for him. Um, but um, doing the, that 321 day fast really gave me this illusion of control. You know, I, I could switch it on or switch it off. I could eat or I could not eat. And if I was not eating, then I was losing weight. And, um, you know, that really appealed to the control, control freak side of me. Um, and I went back and tried that over the years several times. And it never, I never was able to get back to, you know, losing that much weight or even being able to fast up for that long. It's just not a healthy thing to do. Um, so I was in this, you know, relationship with this woman. And, um, well, she was a really good cook, and I liked to eat. Uh, and I was about 300 pounds for most of that relationship. And, you know, I ate a lot. And I had somebody to kind of share that with. Uh, um, and so about the time that my son was a year and a half, I quit smoking. I did it through this program at UC. And it was a, a smoking, like, overload kind of thing where you sit in a room, a small room with four other people and smoke six cigarettes. And by the time you're done, you're sick and you don't want to smoke anymore. And um, that worked. It didn't work for pizza, you know. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but it gave, and then after a few days, I was able to see what it was like to kick an addiction, you know. The physical stuff was gone, and then I would see that I would want to smoke for, you know, if I got upset or angry or out of habit, you know, and stuff like that. Um, so, I, when I quit smoking, that was sort of the wedge that came between us and, and that relationship. And we split up when my son was two and a half, so I guess that was like 88, and moved to Marin and did the whole, you know, raise him as a single parent thing. Um, and uh, then in, it was about a year after that, in 89, that I first came into OA for the first time. And um, I just, I was looking for like a diet club. I thought, you know, I, I, you know, I need to do a diet and I need a support group. Uh, and, um, but I got pretty quickly that it was, you know, I had a disease and that I was a compulsive overeater. And finally found a sponsor and went to Howe with her. And, um, I had dieted down to about 250 by that point, and um, then I started doing the How Food Plan and working the How Program. You know, doing those 30 questions in 30 days and talking to my sponsor every day, go to three meetings, make three phone calls, and all those really good ideas. You know, um, and uh, the weight—I mean, doing that four ounces of chicken, you know, four ounces of chicken for dinner thing—the um, weight just came right off. It was like I lost 50 pounds in six weeks. And all of a sudden, I was back at 200 pounds, and I'm hot shit again, you know. And, uh, you know, I was, like, speaking, and I was a star, and, you know, being, being the only guy in, in the program was like, you know, I got all this attention. And, um, I kind of, you know, thrived on that a little bit, fed my ego and, and stuff like that. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I had a good six months, and I worked the steps and, and did service and, you know, really worked at it. And I think I had a pretty good program. I had a higher power that I called Great Spirit. And it, it, it worked for me. Um, and I wish I could tell you exactly what it was that stopped working, you know. Maybe it was that I just felt like I needed an extra piece of bread or, you know, something about the food, something about, um, I think I had a little 
failed dating thing in there somewhere that didn't quite work out. Um, my son was frustrating. No, this, this, and that. I was doing these century bike rides and um, felt like I needed more food. Um, I think I had one good-sized slip on one of the rest stops on one of those rides where I just wound up eating, you know, granola and peanut butter, and it was just... Um, and so then for the next two years, I was, you know, I had slips and relapses, and I don't know, there's a gray area between the two, and um, I had times where I came back and tried to really work at it, and I had times where I was just out there binging, and I would, like, go to this one meeting on Friday night in San Rafael, and I would sit through the whole meeting and just wait for 9 o'clock, because I knew if I, at 9 o'clock I could leave right away and go to this all-you-can-eat salad bar before they closed at 7.30, you know, and my, my, it was really hard doing that, and, and I felt like, you know, in some ways I blamed the people in the program because you were all treating me differently because, you know, instead of being a star, I was like, you were sorry for me. And, oh, Don, sorry to see this is happening to you. And, you know, it's kind of like, oh, it was hard. You know, I wouldn't wish having a relapsing program on, on anyone. And finally, I just, it got to be too much. And um, I just said to hell with it and, and left and started eating, uh, eating with abandon. And... Um, ratcheted my weight up. You know, I was probably, my weight fluctuated between 230 and 290 while I was in those two or three years. I was able to get up and down in there. And so then after I left, it was, you know, steadily 300 and climbing. Um, and I mean, you know, I use weight as a shorthand. So if I'm 300 pounds, I'm eating a couple of pizzas a night. And, you know, if I'm 400 pounds, I'm eating a, you know, I'm going to a Burger King for a a double, you know, thing for a pre-dinner snack and then eating all evening. You know, it's kind of like, you, you know what I mean, right? Um, so then I had 10 years where I gained like 200 pounds in in relapse. And um, yeah, I had times in there where I tried to diet. I had times in there where I tried to control it. I think I probably went to oh, four meetings in 10 years. It's not a good way to do the program. Uh, so... Um, I was alone for about 13 years from the time that I broke up with my son's mom. And um, I came, um, I, uh, there, was, there was this uh, guy I worked with, and he was like as big as I was, and he started talking about my girlfriend this and my girlfriend that. And I wanted to ask him, well, hey, Greg, you know, you're as big as I am. What are you doing with a girlfriend? So that my, my, up here, it's like, you know, fat people don't, we, we I, no, sorry, I don't, think of myself as being attractive when I am that big, and so I tried it. I went on the um, internet and um, met somebody from New Mexico, and she um, she moved here, and you know, we started. Uh, yeah, I mean, she she moved in, and um, you know, it, I my son was in his you know like 15, 16 at the time, and we were like this, he was in drug court, and I was going to Al-Anon, and it was uh, a big, it was a lot of battling, and in a way it was good to have her there be, to be like a buffer zone between us, but, you know, the thing is, I didn't really like her, and I didn't really treat her particularly well, and um, I was a bit of an asshole to her, uh, you know, because I didn't like myself, I didn't like her, I didn't like the way I looked, I didn't like the way she looked, and, you know, it was just, I, I wasn't happy having her in my house, and it was all this crap, man. And, um, you know, I was having all these pains, 
uh, had, um, uh, if I stood for more than 15 minutes, my, the right side of my leg would go numb. I had uh, you know, pains in my back. And, I mean, you, you're almost 500. I, was, I think my high weight was about 500 pounds. And, and at that weight, you know, it's just hard to move through the world. I mean, my you know, the belt, you can see it. My belly would touch the steering wheel. I had to lift my stomach up in order to go to the bathroom. The only way to really, like, clean myself after going to the bathroom was to take a shower, like a shower massage and stuff like that. It was just, you know, it was not a fun way to live. Um, and I was, you know, I would sit on, I would get up in the morning, have a huge breakfast, sit on the couch and uh, watch TV. I mean, that was like a typical Sunday. Watch TV and um, eat. And I was, I lost a job in September of 2001 and it was, Greatest job in the world, at least I thought so. I, I didn't have to leave the house. I was working at home, had that 15-second commute across the living room, and um, didn't have to see anybody, didn't have to shower, didn't have to you know, deal with people, and it's the perfect job for an for a, a isolating, compulsive overeater. So, um, again, I wish I could tell you it was one thing that happened, but you know, something about OA had worked for me before. Um, something about the unhealthy lifestyle of sitting on the couch and just eating I could see wasn't going to work for me. I was 44 and you know I'd go to the doctor and I would, I would want him to say, Don, you're going to have a heart attack in two years or something like that. I, I think I realistically expected to die before I was 50. Um, but uh, you know there was something about OA that had worked once before and it came you know, it took me until February to get back in, and I walked back in, and um, there was one person in the room that I knew from that time in before, <laughs> and she was, like, so glad to see me, and she was like, Sonny, come with, come to this meeting with me in Oakland. There's a man there who's lost 160 pounds of the year sponsor. There's a seat for you in OA. And um, it, it was just wonderful. You know, it was her energy, her letting me know that there was a, a, a hope that there was, you know, a chance to do this again, that it was, it, it could work. So and I left that meeting. How am I doing on time? Okay. Um, I left that meeting and had a burrito and then went out looking. You know, I knew I needed a food plan. I knew I needed a sponsor. So I went to a bookstore looking for, like, the next food plan. And I came across this book that talked about carbohydrate addiction and read it and it really kind of made sense about what, um, you know, glucose, fructose, um, anything with an ocean it does in my bloodstream, you know. And um, I, I started doing this food plan and after a few days it was like with the smoking thing where I felt like the addiction had been broken. The physical stuff was gone and I could see that it was when I got upset or that I was, you know, tired or, or angry or, you know, something else was driving me to eat. Um, and started working the, the program slowly. Uh, you know, I got this guy in Oakland to sponsor me. And um, one of the, I remember one of the first uh, nights that he was, uh, you know, I was like, I wanted to eat some celery because I was hungry at like, you know, 9 o'clock at night. And he's like, no, it's just a few hours till breakfast. 
And, you know, for a while that became like a mantra for me. You know, it's just a few hours till breakfast. You're not going to starve to death. You're, you know, you're going to be okay. Just make it through. I mean, and I had to, like, rely on my higher power a lot to that. You know, God, just let me get through this evening. Um, I started, you know, praying sort of slowly. I, uh, you know, I wish I could tell you exactly what my higher power looks like. But I know that it's a force that's going to take care of me in the world. I know that, you know, everything's going to work out because my higher power has is holding me like a baby in a warm bath. Um, I started praying slowly. And, you know, what kept me going was that it seemed like my prayers weren't being answered, if not always in the way that I wanted them to be, but in, in some way. And that kept me wanting to pray um, tomorrow. So, uh, I, I, I got a, actually Unity Day was like the next week after I came in, and so that was a really good jolt of program. You know, these big kind of special event sorts of things are just really, they're wonderful to get a lot of program all at once, and it really, it gave me hope. It gave me the idea that I could do this again. Um, I met my, my, my you know, sponsor there and um, started working with him, and I worked the, the um the questions out of that workbook, and it really, it, it, it worked for me at the time. And um, I started losing the weight. You know, I had lost like 250 pounds, and it's, you don't do that. And you don't, I mean, I, could, I knew I couldn't do that all at once, since I had to really live the one at a day, one time at a day thing, one day at a time thing. <laughs> um, And, you know, I, for me, losing weight slowly meant like 10 pounds a month. So it took two and a half years to lose 250 pounds. Uh, and then I did a, fifth, a fourth and fifth step after about six months in. And, you know, a lot of what I wrote about was, you know, this woman I was living with and how she was, you know, the devil incarnate and resentments against her and all this other stuff. And, um, you know, I, I we split up in December of that year and I... Um, you know, I tried to make some amends to her, and she did not respond. And um, so, you know, that first year I was with somebody and resentful and stuff like that, and being an asshole. And then the second year, I had to, um, you know, I was by myself. And in July of that year, I kicked my son out. So I went from having four people and a dog in the house to just me and two dogs, um, which was, you know, interesting. But, you know, I started, and then I started to write about being alone and, you know, being, being, fear of being alone. And, you know, the, the other side of that was this fear of people that I have of, you know, not being able to trust people and, and stuff like that. Started doing, you know, sort of like um, experiments in dating, let's say, you know, trying to meet people on Craigslist and uh, just, you know, stuff like that. And I really had to work at it and, you know, not... Yeah, not lose my absence over it and, and you know, turn it over and trust that I was going to be taken care of and, and let everything happen in God's time and, you know, let uh, let it go. So after this woman left, um, so one of my big times was to eat on Friday night. I mean, in the old day, you know, when I was eating, my, my son would, like, go to his mom's on weekends. And so I would go from doing all this, you know, dad stuff all week long. Where, well, I mean, I was eating there, too. You know, it was like whenever he had a good day at school, I would, you know, oh, let's go celebrate. Come on. You know, and um, 
whenever he would have a crappy day at school, it would be like, go to bed, I'm going to eat ice cream, you know? And But then when he would go to his mom's on weekends, then it was like all bets were off because nobody was around and I could just, you know, eat as much as I wanted to and watch TV and not leave the house all weekend. Um, and so after, uh, after that relationship ended, I kind of, I knew I didn't want to be alone on Friday nights. I, so I started, you know, going to this meeting in the city on, on Friday nights and it's the lifeboat meeting and um, I, I kind of developed this crush on the secretary there. And um, so we're going to get married in December. <laughs> oh. Yeah, you don't clap for 250 pounds of clap. Like, you guys are too easy, you know. <laughs> Hi, my name's Don. I figured out how to program my VCR. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, how much time? Okay. You know, really, the thing that's worked about this is having higher power and turning it over and um, having, you know, a spiritual life and, and having a sense of humor about it and keeping, keeping going. I haven't said too much about my, my fiancé because, um, well, there's not enough time, right? And, but there's one, I want to close with a joke because, uh, you know, my sponsor, my first sponsor was telling me, you know, it's just a few hours till breakfast. And um, so I, I got up in the middle of the night and came back to bed and my, my fiancé asked me um, a question. I don't remember what it was. And I tell her, don't worry, it's just a few hours till breakfast. <laughs> and then I said, and she says, but that's not what I asked you. And I said, don't worry, it's just really such a good answer. <laughs> Thank you very much, Don. There is an Ask It basket going around. Feel free to put your questions in that basket and at the end we'll have a Q&A for 15 minutes. Now I would like to welcome Gabrielle from San Jose. I'm Gabrielle, compulsive overeater, bulimic, anorexic, and anything else we could manage to do. <laughs> I um, am a firm believer that Everything happens in a context. You know, the, nothing happens in a vacuum. And when I look at where I started, I was born in 1950, right after the Second World War, where everyone was messed up. And my parents were migrants from Europe and moved to Australia. And I was born into a family that did not speak English and my family was treated like dirt because they didn't speak English, just like um, some of the Latino people are treated here in America. How come you don't speak English? And I was born into that. And I was born thin-skinned. So I basically walked around like I was electrocuted the whole time because I carried the tension of the world around me. <laughs> and it was not fun. And so I did a lot of vomiting, I did a lot of, I refused to eat, and then when I was 10 years old, I discovered food and never stopped. I started eating and it was the most exciting experience of my life because I was no longer electrocuted by uh, feelings and other people around me. And so my uh, career in compulsive eating 
really um, rocketed me into another dimension. What I didn't know was that I come from a long line of compulsive overeaters. My family always ate at midnight. And it was one of those things where you, you know, go through what happened in the day and then you ate at midnight to deal with it and then you conked out. That's it. And then you kind of woke up the next day. It's a bit like an alcoholic, you know, you get drunk and then you kind of wake up the next day. <laughs> we now know it's called a sugar over. <laughs> so anyway, what happened in my teenage years, I could actually feel my body expand. I had the feeling of expanding. I felt like I was a bullfrog, you know. <laughs> And I identified with the fish that when they were threatened, they were, you know, and birds that fluff up their feathers. I actually identified with all of those. And lizards that were, <laughs> and, uh, and it's really amazing, you know, since I've come into program, that's really what it is for me. You know, it's like if there's a threat in the world, I want to expand and protect myself. It's, it's a very strange experience, and it's in nature. That's how nature protects itself. <laughs> and, uh, and so there was no education out there about compulsive overeating. You know, in Australia, we had pubs, and that was for the drinking, and then we had milk bars, which, which is where you did your compulsive eating. I mean, I think it's ironic we call it milk bars and, uh, you know, with the milkshakes and all of those things happen. And that's where I hung out. And then, and then in the 60s, you know, with all the drug use that was going on, I hung out with the marijuana users because I was just waiting for the time when everyone got the munchies. And I was the one that did the donut runs. <laughs> and I would always order twice as much and come back with half of it. The, um, the most uh, strange experience I can remember in the 60s is, you know, we all, you know, there'd be 30 of us in um, a house hanging around. Everyone's doing drugs. And I had brought, you know, all the food for the munchie time. And then uh, the police came. It was a big drug bust. And... All 29 of them went running, and I was still at the cake. And the police came in and didn't know what to do with seeing me there because I was, you know how those kittens, they go, when you come near their food? I was a bit like that. I had my arm around the cake, and I was eating it, and they came in, and they just didn't know what to do. And so they said, why don't you just go home? <laughs> and that was the moment I felt my sugar addiction saved me from the law. <laughs> you know how addicts twist things around? Absolutely. So I felt my addiction, although I didn't call it that, I felt that my thing was better than other people's thing because they got into trouble and I didn't. I just got big. And, and so my career in compulsive eating continued, continued, continued. 
And then, unfortunately, I came across other 12-step programs. And once you're in one 12-step program, you know, you get to look at everything. <laughs> so Overeaters Anonymous is my third program. And when I got to Overeaters Anonymous, it was 25 years ago. It was in a basement with um, people who didn't know how to communicate very well. And I felt at home. <laughs> and Overeaters Anonymous was the least glamorous of the 12-step programs. You know, in other 12-step programs, they have fabulous stories, and everyone thinks that they're so terrific. And when you talk about compulsive overeating 25 years ago, it's like, oh, you know, what a, what a terrible illness to have. And so what I did was there was not much education even within OA and not much understanding about what you do with this program in OA 25 years ago in Australia. I don't know what it was like here in America, but it's like, what's the food plan <laughs> kind of thing. So <laughs> I started to think that in Alcoholics Anonymous, they don't quit drinking all fluids. They only quit alcohol. So in Overeaters Anonymous, I don't quit eating. I just quit certain foods that are my drug foods. So, of course, I named sugar chocolate. And, you know, I'd worked in the chocolate factory, so I could eat all I could. Um, you know, and I hung out in milk bars, so I could eat and drink all I could. So I knew that sugar chocolate um, and junk food were my drug foods. So that's what I quit. And I saw myself as an addict. And I began to work the program. And it's really remarkable how this program works. When you do it, it works. And I, I was the only one in my group that was actually losing weight because I quit my drug foods. I wasn't messing around with, you know, what abstinence was. I just was very clear about it. And the other ironic thing is, I didn't come to Overeaters Anonymous to lose weight. I came to Overeaters Anonymous because I was sick of my addiction to sugar and chocolate and all these other foods. I couldn't understand why I kept eating them. <laughs> and so I discovered I'm addicted to them and that this program helped me with that addiction. And the first step is you quit doing it no matter what. And so... Of course, for the first time, I experienced sugar cravings. I never craved sugar because I was always eating it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and I, I kept saying to my sponsor, what's this horrible feeling I'm having? And she said, it's a craving. And I'm going, oh, okay. And uh, it's normal for an addict to crave its drug. Okay. So um, she kept saying that just breathe and the craving will go away. Drink water, the craving will go away. A craving only lasts a few minutes. And she was right. It's like, oh, okay, I'm on it. And then, of course, we didn't know what a food plan was or what a moderate meal was. So a group of us would get together every day with the same size plate and we would experiment with what was a moderate meal. 
And so we came up with some kind of idea of it. I mean, it was really fun. I mean, in the beginning, you know, trying to figure out what a moderate meal is because we all have different ideas of what, what that looks like. Um, and it kind of freaked us out. There's one of us, uh, you know, put celery sticks all around the side of the plate, so her plate ended up bigger. <laughs> and you see, the beauty of doing things together, which is something that I've learned in this program, you know, we, it's not good to do this alone. You know, an addict alone is in bad company. So, and, and we're very creative. It's amazing. And so, you know, we, we sat down and talked to her and said, you know, this is cheating. <laughs> and, and she didn't like us very much for that, but she came around. And it helped us not cheat because we called her on it. You know, uh, it, it's a very shameful illness. It really is. It's like there's something icky about being a compulsive overeater in, in the context of our society. And, um, and so the only way out of the shame is if I'm calling someone on their stuff, I have to live that myself. So I can't cheat if I'm calling someone a cheater. And so, okay, so as a group, we discovered what the moderate meal was, we did all this stuff about nutrition, you know, growing wheatgrass and, you know, doing all those fabulous things. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, so anyway, I began to grow. I began to grow in my spirit as my body began to shrink. As I said, I did not come to Overeaters Anonymous to lose weight. It kind of freaked me out because it was a whole different body image. And unfortunately, in this world, when you have this body, people react to you in a particular way, and certain people like you, and certain people don't. And then when you become that, other people like you, and other people don't. So being a social creature, you know, it's like I had a hard time discovering who I was and finding out that I was not who I thought I was. But I was at the same time discovering that the world was not what I thought it was. And so I had two adjustments going at the same time. And it was nerve-wracking. And I have to tell you that the wonderful thing about Overeaters Anonymous is that we have meetings that we can go to and share these crazy things that happen when, when you get abstinent. <laughs> and thank goodness for Overeaters Anonymous because there is nowhere else in the world that can understand all the weird things that happen in recovery, let alone in our disease, you know? And so I was able to get all this stuff out and become the person that I'm, I've become, which is who I am today. And who I am today is that I believe that this program is a miracle for me. I have a genetic predisposition to compulsive overeating. Both sides of my family has uh, women who are compulsive overeaters, three, four, five, six hundred pound women on both sides of my family. And I have broken the chain 
of addiction in the family. And so I am no longer that connected to my family. You know, they're uncomfortable with me because I don't fit in. And, of course, my whole psychology is different, too. And even though they do respect the few times I do see them, they do respect the food that I eat, but there's not that connection. And and that sometimes, you know, I can feel my disease going, well, you know, if I wasn't so different, then I could connect with them. And so the desire to compulsively overeat and to be messed up emotionally comes up. You know that um, if I could only be messed up the way I used to be and eat compulsively with them, then I could be close with them again. And then I have to realize I was never close to them to begin with. You know, the thing about sugar and chocolate is the same as speed, alcohol, and heroin. It's delusional. There's the illusion of connectedness because you're all messed up together. (laughs) But there is no connectedness there. You know, and so that's what helps me stay on my path is that um, being in the addiction is an illusion of whatever it is I want to be delusional about. (laughs) That's why it works for a while. (laughs) But it just doesn't work in the long run. And I have to say that uh, the only real relationship that um, I feel so amazingly close to is my relationship with my higher power because I have seen incredible miracles happen. You know, I'm very stubborn. Like, I just don't want to do certain things. I have a nutritionist who wants me to eat four meals a day. (laughs) I don't want to because OA says three meals a day. But I have to listen to, you know, the experts of my body, and I have to remember I'm not always the expert. (laughs) And so I have to pray and meditate to allow the right messages to come to me about my health and my nutrition and make sure that in the end the decision is between me and my higher power and not my stubbornness and not my addiction. And, and whatever else. And so I constantly have to be mindful and awake when I am making decisions about my life, that I'm coming from my spirit and coming from my connection with my higher power and not coming from stress, tension, delusion, uh, wishful thinking. You know, I have magical thinking. It's like, woohoo. <laughs> and... Uh, So that is a constant um, piece of work. And that's part of what keeps me coming to Overeaters Anonymous. I lost 100 pounds about between 25 and 23 years ago. And I've maintained that loss. But I've maintained that loss not because I diet. It's because I work this program. I find that when I get too self-absorbed, my body wants to expand. 
And what has really helped me is that if I'm open and giving and, um, I mean, some people call it service, but it's not necessarily that. If I care about other people and reach out to them and speak my truth, then I find my uh, desire to overeat leaves me. And so I've made sure that I'm in a career that is a career that gives to the community. I make sure that I do certain things that are naturally part of giving to people so that I stay in a mode of openness and giving and having to keep looking at myself so that I don't go back into the illusion and, um, and be deluded that I'm just fine, you know? The other thing that I wanted to mention is that the miracles of this program are phenomenal. You know, when I went through menopause, I had no symptoms. And it's because of the healthy food that I eat and uh, the way I live my life in this program. And it's a miracle. It's like, what? I haven't even had a hot flash. I mean, how weird is that? I sometimes think I'm going to have a hot flash, and I discover that the heat is on in the, in the car. I forgot to... <laughs> I'm going, I'm having a hot flash. <laughs> and so that, to me, is one of the um, amazing benefits, you know, of this program. And, you know, being... Uh, is a post, yeah, being postmenopausal means that the body's different. And so getting into exercise is very interesting. Um, and I sometimes find the body has its, own, has its own thing. You know, it's like, I don't feel like exercising today. So what I do is I don't fight my body. If uh, my body doesn't feel like exercising, then we go for a walk instead. Or we do something else. It's a bit like dealing with a child. <laughs> you know, if the child doesn't want to do this, then, hey, coax it to do that. And so that's what I do with my stubborn body. <laughs> it's not used to going to gyms and things like that. So I just quietly sneak her in, and if she doesn't want to do that, then I'll do something else. And sometimes that's what it's like being a food addict, is being split. You know, having to deal with the addiction, coaxing it away, and, um, and being so incredibly grateful that I have a program that can contain all this and maintain some semblance of sanity in this crazy world. Thank you. Thank you, Gabrielle from San Jose. Um, for those who've come in late, please go ahead and make sure your cell phones are turned off and just for the sake of anonymity, photos are not allowed during this meeting. Uh, we have an ask it basket that will go back around again and we're going to welcome our last speaker. Then we'll have a Q&A for about 15 minutes and then we'll have time for open share as well. So please stick around and share with us your thoughts. So I'd like to um, welcome David from San Francisco. Hi, my name is David, and I'm a compulsive overeater. 
Howdy. I want to thank you for asking me to share this morning. And uh, thanks, Donna. Thanks, Gabrielle. You did a great job. Um, really appreciate being here this morning. Um, so let me go ahead and start with my numbers. Um, I'm, I'm going to be 60 years old my next birthday, which is pretty amazing because I'm alive. When you hear my story, you'll know why it's amazing. And um, my top weight was approximately 450 pounds. And uh, so I'm really grateful to be here today. I'm grateful to be standing. And you know, I'm just grateful for the whole thing. And uh, I came into Overeaters Anonymous many, many years ago. But I'll give you a thumbnail sketch of my family first, which I think is, uh, I'm pretty nosy. I always like getting the nitty-gritty details of everybody's life. And um, so I kind of of like hearing all the stories. Um, My parents uh, and I, I I was actually born in Santa Monica, California, raised in the East Bay, Oakland, and uh, San Leandro. And uh, so I was born in 1947 in Santa Monica. And my parents moved up north. My father is a... um, is a Syrian Jew who moved to Romania and then to the States. Um, and my mother was born literally on the boat off the, uh, off the coast. And uh, she, her whole family was from Austria. And uh, so they got married. It was kind of an odd marriage because, for those who don't know, my culture is almost like an intermarriage. Ashkenazi and Sephardim didn't marry at the time. So it was kind of interesting. They started off on the wrong foot. A lot of people wouldn't come to the wedding, etc. And I had to hear that story a lot. And, uh, you know, like talk about beating a dead horse. It just kind of went around and around. And uh, so they moved to uh, to the Bay Area uh, eventually, and uh, where I was raised. And it was my mother and my father, my brother and I. And my brother is 11 years older than myself. And um, every, when I was a child, I was very thin, not emaciated or, or anorexic, but kind of an average thin kid. And I was always knowing that I would get fat because everybody in my family were fat. That's it. It was just kind of expected. There was no shame about fatness in my family. My mother was a huge woman, about 375 at her top. And uh, my father loved her to death. And we had all these little tiny, little tiny men with all these huge women. And, um, and they would literally chase them around the kitchen. It was, it was kind of funny. But uh, for those who, who, who know, you know... <laughs> Who know my culture at the time? That's what the best lot happened, and that's just what it was. But there's no shame around fatness, and I'm really grateful for that. That I didn't have a very thin little mom and uh, putting me on a diet all the time. I just had quite the opposite. Rosie always had a ladle in her hand and a long apron, and we were always ready to eat. And um, anyway, I was a thin kid. I was very gregarious as a kid. Uh, had a lot of friends. Um, enjoyed life a lot. Did scouts. Did a lot of organizations. Um, in high school, my father nicknamed me the joiner because I would join every organization just to be around other people. And uh, once I had joined the Healers and Helpers Club, which was for people who wanted to be doctors or nurses. And my father said to me, do you want to be a doctor or a nurse? He said, no. He said, why did you join the club? I said, I don't know. Stevie joined the club. John joined the club. And, you know, I want to join the club. And, um, and I, I soon dropped out when they wanted to take me to some operating room and see some surgery, and I said, that's okay. I knew then I wouldn't want to be a doctor or a a nurse. And, uh, but I really had a blast, went to all the dances, and uh, I just had a lot of fun, a lot of fun as a kid, a lot of laughter in the house, uh, a lot of sadness in the house, Um, kind of uh, open season on everything. 
What I did learn as a kid, when the going gets tough, the tough use. The tough use something. You either drink, you eat, you lie, you do something, but you don't sit still. And John Bradshaw, I know I'm dating myself, but John Bradshaw says that he, you know, that he considers addiction anything that you need to do to get away from whatever is in front of you that you really need to do. And I really like that. that that's just great. And um, anyway, I was a senior in high school. Um, I contracted a, a disease, and it was not a serious disease, mononucleosis, but the best thing about it is called the kissing disease at the time, and uh, so everybody assumed that I was doing nothing but kissing, but I wasn't. And uh, anyway, and uh, and so they took me to the family doctor, Dr. Durazzi in San Lorenzo Village, and Dr. Durazzi said, Rosie, take him home and feed him. You got to feed him for about six or eight weeks and get his strength back up. David needs to eat and get fed, and so that's all my mother needed. And we sat for about six or eight weeks and did nothing but made pots and pots of coffee, played lots of Yahtzee and uh, Spite and Molasses and card games, and all of her girlfriends would come over. We'd smoke and drink coffee and, and eat, and just eat. That was it. You know, tons of bagel blocks, cream cheese, all kinds of food that we liked, and we just ate constantly. And uh, I think my mother put on five or ten pounds, which wasn't a big deal since she was already up to almost 400, and I put on about 25, which was... At that time, kind of shocking for me as well as my friends, I went back to school and it was the first time I had heard anything about my weight. The kids started making comments about my size and I, I didn't buy into the, into the, um, the shame of it because I, I just didn't get it. I mean, I went home and I said to my mom, I said, you know, they're talking about my size and, I, and she said, ah, well, she was quite vulgar. I won't tell you what she said, but it was like, you yeah. <laughs> know. And uh, so, because uh, we're being taped, folks. All right. And um, and so, uh, but she said, you know, no. And um, and so I said, okay. Um, and so I didn't buy into it. And when I I graduated high school very young, I skipped two grades, not because I was clever, but because in the 40s and 50s, a lot of kids skipped because they had a gift of gab. And I had a gift of gab. They thought I was a real little adult. And I was a little adult. But I wasn't real smart, but they skipped me two grades. And um, so I graduated high school exceptionally young. I started Berkeley, and I dropped out six weeks later. I couldn't deal with it. I probably could have, I probably really could have dealt with it academically, but emotionally, and I just wasn't mature. I wanted to go play with my friends, and they were all going to the service. They're all going to Vietnam, and I wanted to go too. I just wanted to go in the service, you know. And I knew nothing about the politics of the day, and you know, nor did I care. I wanted to go drink and play card games and be with my friends, and they all went. So I went, and uh, and that's that. So anyway, I joined the Air Force. I was about 2:20, and um, there was a little flight sergeant who said he was going to get the weight off me. He was a little tiny guy, a little tiny skinny guy from Arkansas. Tech sergeant, God, I can't remember his name. Johnson. And he would follow me around the chow hall, and I love chip beef, but anyway, he would follow me. He would, I never had it. He, he had followed me around that chow hall, and he was going to make me thin. And he did. He really did. He was the best food sponsor I ever had. And, uh, you know, he was bound and determined to kick my ass, and he did. And, uh, you know, um, he would scream from one end of the barracks to the other, hey, Jew boy, that's enough. And I'd look at my plate, and everybody would look over at me and say, okay. 
And I didn't touch any more, I knew. And uh, so I was just mostly scared of him, but, uh, you know, I did stop eating. That's the kind of food sponsor we all need. But anyway, he's probably long dead, God love him, or not. So anyway, um, my first duty assignment was the Philippines. Uh, I love Filipino people and the culture, but lumpia didn't do much for me. It was okay. It was all right. Fried, nice. And then uh, I put on not much weight there. And the second duty assignment was Italy. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, Italy, um, oh, we're on tape, but I can't say it any other way. The shit hit the fan. Italy was, Italy was boy, that was all, all hands were off in Italy. That's my kind of food. And uh, I put on quite a bit of weight in Italy. And I came back, and little Dr. Thirtle in Hayward at Kaiser uh, did my, uh, my physical when I got out of the Air Force. And, uh, and he wrote, obese, 21-year-old male. And I got very upset with little male sign. I got very upset with the obese. It's just the whole thing seemed so technical, so medical. I didn't know what was going on. And so when he came back in the room, he saw me reading the chart. I tell him, I'm very nosy. Not so much now. Don't worry, your diaries are safe. But it was like, I, I really, uh, very, very nosy. And, and he said, you can't be reading the chart. I said, it's my chart, you know, and they can't read it. So anyway, I read it. And I said, why did you say obese? He said, that's a medical term that fits you. He said, would you rather me put fat, heavy, big bones, exhaustive? What name do you want to use? You're fat. You're obese. I said, put obese, I didn't care. When he left, of course, I, you know. <laughs> I wasn't obese anymore by the time I left. And, uh, you know. and so uh, that was my experience with Dr. Thurtle. Uh, I went back to school, enjoyed school. Um, and then my love affair started with Israel. And, uh, and I went back and forth a number of times, lived there for a long time, a couple of years, really enjoyed it. Stayed on two different kibbutzim and in the city. Kibbutz is a communal farm, discovering my roots. Food was nothing in Israel. It was, it was a piece of cake, so to speak. <laughs> but it really was. It was, uh, it was, a, it was, I enjoyed the food, but it didn't yell at me too much. And the kibbutz, I ate a lot of good, healthy vegetables and fruit. And, and I, and I worked in the factory in the field. So, that was, didn't seem to be a big issue around the food. And um, so I got out of the Air Force and, um, um, and I met a girl when I was in Israel, Gail. Some of you might know her. God, there are people here I haven't seen in years. But anyway, and Gail and I got married. She was thin. She was a nurse. Uh, she, you know, knew nothing about overeating. I remember when we first got married, uh, she had gone to the store and got an eight-pack of um, English muffins. On a, sa on a Sunday, and we had one each. I was polite. And then uh, I think two or three days later at breakfast, she said, didn't we buy English muffins at Safeway? I said, yeah. And she said, they're gone. I said, she said, we had six left. And I said, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, they're gone. Well, I'm a public eater. And, you know, my family were public eaters. And, again, there's no shame. I, I ate them. She said, well, you didn't replace them? And can you not re... And I said, oh, yeah, replace them. You know? <laughs> and so, anyway, that started... Anyway, the marriage was really a bad marriage. It ended uh, in divorce. I ended up single-parenting my son for a long time. It was not a good marriage. And But somewhere in the middle of that, or the beginning of that, I discovered Overeaters Anonymous. And this was... God, Joey is 37, and so I think I came in probably 
35 years ago, something like that. Anyway, Old First Church, Monday night, we, a lot of us went there. So I called, and uh, the reason I called is my cousin was doing Dr. Haskell, the shot guy on Geary, and I was looking at weight loss in the book, and it said Overeaters Anonymous, and I thought, that's the kickiest name I ever saw in my life. So I called over there, and I talked to George, for those who remember George and Kathy over in Oakland, and I called, and all I want to know is, could I have KFC? And I'll never forget, I was real aggressive. I said, um, hi, whatever. I said, uh, can I have KFC? He said, who is this? You know, I was like, is this some kind of a weird-ass phone call? Or I said, look, can I have KFC? He said, well, I, I guess we could make it abstinent. And I thought, jargon, this is cute. This is, this is, this is real kicky, jargon. And he says, uh, I said, what's abstinent? So he told me. And I said, right. He says, you need to come and you need to get a copy of the food plan. That's what you need to do. And it was like the secret handshake. He wouldn't tell me about the damn food plan. I had to come to a meeting and get it. So I went to the meeting, and it was, it was great. And I really enjoyed it. Um, at that time, I think we only had gray sheet, and then we had uh, gray, and we had orange, plan A and plan B. The difference was a slice of bread or something on plan B. No one went on plan B that I knew. We were always gray shears. And I lost a lot of weight initially. I came into Overeaters Anonymous at 265. And my disease was incredibly progressive since my top was about 450. So it, it was a progressive disease for me, as it is for many people. And um, uh, Bill Sternum was the, uh, God love him, he's gone. Bill, Bill was the, um, the leader of the newcomer meeting. And he said, for those of you who stay through this meeting, be careful and beware. Your life with food will never be the same. Get out now. <laughs> really? No, no. He was, he, actually, for those who remember Bill, that's how he talked, except he was more vulgar than my mother. But, uh, and, and get out now. And I remember thinking, whoa, you know. But, you know, I wanted to stay. I wanted to hear it. So I heard it, and uh, I loved it immediately. I liked the people. They seemed very friendly, very gregarious. Everybody was up. Uh, I remember we used to call it Hollywood, and, uh, you know, we'd have to shave and shower to go there because we wouldn't want to look nasty and, you know, that whole thing. And so that, that started my love affair with OA. It also started me doing a tremendous amount of relapsing. I had to continue to go back to the food. And uh, so I got it, I lost it, I got it, I lost it, I got it, I lost it. That was my story. And um, I stand by it. And, um, and, and people generally were really nice about the relapse. Very seldom did they look in my stomach. They generally looked at my eyes and said, hi, how you doing? Very, very seldom was there a lot of judgment. There was. We have our little do-goods. But generally speaking, there was not a lot of judgment. And again, fatness was, again, I, I was not shamed by it. What happened is my body broke down by it. It was not about the shame. I was a proud member of NAFA for many, many years, National Association to Advance Fat Acceptance. It's a fabulous organization. It's a fat right. And that's not fat rights. It's a size acceptance group. And they really helped me a lot. It was a tremendous, tremendous lift for me. But anyway, and so what happened is my body broke down. I was fine emotionally and spiritually, so I thought, but my body wasn't. At my top weight, I was taking 17 medications a day. Now I take no medications a day. My top weight, my blood sugars were in the 400s, and I, I was like on lot, I was top on my uh, glucophage, and I was ready to go on insulin, and I didn't. Um, and it was very, very hard for me. I was in canes, crutches, wheelchairs. I couldn't walk well. If you're four or 500 pounds, a lot of people, their bodies break down orthopedically. Mine did. 
And, um, and so lo and behold, I'm on no medication. I'm in total remission from my diabetes. My doctor said I'm in just in great shape. Uh, blood pressure's fine. I had a stroke six years ago. I had a moderate stroke, not a, not a good little one, a moderate stroke. And yet I'm the kind of food addict that when I left the hospital, I went to seize candies. I had my blue handicap placard. I was prepared. There was a parking spot in front. Wherever there was a parking spot in front, I would go. I, I mean, you know, I would circle for hours for, for a damn parking spot, you know. And if it was a blue place, I would love it. And, uh, you know, the blue handicap. And I remember going in, and I, and I couldn't speak very well. I couldn't really think of the words. But I had a $20 bill. And I said to the guy, I want that. And his bridge mix. And I want that. And he said, how much of that? And I said, this. He said, $20 a bridge mix? I said, yeah, $20 a bridge mix. And I remember it was like, so this is what you do when you've had a stroke and you're, and, and you're you know, 400 and something pounds. You go back to these candies to see what more harm you could do. Um, you know, we, in addiction therapy, they tell you very carefully when they train the therapist that these are people to be cautious of because these people use in spite of consequences. And I ate in spite of consequences. They never scared me. And um, so anyway, I'm here now today. I'm feeling incredibly, oh, just grateful. It just keeps coming out of my mouth. I'm just so damn grateful. I just am. It's such a, it, I hate it to be such a pathetic little word, but it's really, like, I, I feel like, I, I, sometimes I feel like some one big damn Hallmark card. But the truth <laughs> is, is that, and, and for me, this has not been a miracle. This has been groveling. This has been hard. This has been difficult. This is not easy for me. None of this is easy for me. It's been very, very difficult. It's been a trudge. This has been a long trudge for me. This is not easy for me. Miracles are something that come down. That was not a miracle. This is not a miracle. I worked very hard for this, and I didn't do it alone. I had all of you guys. I had to finally develop a higher power to my understanding. That was a pain in the butt. That took a while. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm able now to say the Lord's Prayer with a straight smile. I'm just, you know, I, I'm, it's a very different, different experience. And, and I'd like to say the world treats me very differently. And, and I don't think that I'm really that different. Maybe I am. But I don't think I'm really that different. I think when you are very, very fat in this culture, you're treated like shit. I'm sorry. And that's the way I was. And that's the way I felt. And... And people laughed at me. They stared at me. People threw things out car windows. I mean, people are very mean to fat people. I'm sorry. That's just the way I feel. If you think you didn't get a job because you were too fat, that might be true. If you didn't get, you didn't get the date because you're too fat, that might be true. I don't know. But for me, it's been a very, very difficult struggle being in a huge, huge, large body and not being able to know where to fit, how to fit. Still, before I sit down in a chair, I turn and I look at the chair. Just in right there. The panel knows what that's about. Just in case, you know, it's too small or I don't exactly put my tush in correctly. Just being very, very cautious at every moment. And um, so today, thank God, I'm here. I'm alive. I'm walking, talking. And uh, sorry I had to walk out in the middle of Gabrielle. I had, like, too much coffee this morning. And, uh, anyway. and uh, so anyway, I'm here. I'm so, so grateful for my life today. Um, I, I stopped career. I, I was... Uh, working in law firm management for many, many years. I was outsourced. I didn't know what I was going to do. I went to a recruiter, legal recruiter, looking for management positions. They, <laughs> they turned around and hired me as a recruiter to work for them. So I got a kick out of that, and I'm loving it. 
I just placed two people this week and I got them off of unemployment insurance and it's just a thrill. I feel like a frustrated social worker. It's, a, it's, just, it's just a blast. It's, it's a career for me. I, I'm just loving it and um, making money, enjoying it, nice people, uh, being treated in a very civilized way, very different than law firms. Well, maybe not all law firms, but the three or four I've been at, he's uh, not always treated so, uh, so well. But I, so I'm just... Um, Oh, Hallmark again. I'm grateful. Thanks very much. Let's have a round of applause for all of our speakers. So now we're going to have about 15 minutes of um, Q&A. So I'll read some questions. We may or may not get to everybody's questions, so I'll just pick out them randomly. We've got quite a few. Sometimes they've got a name on there, so if it's a particular person, please come up and share your answer. Otherwise, feel free, anybody can share and can keep it brief so we can get it through as many as possible. So I'll um, read your first question. After that, we'll have some open sharing. Would you mind timing us for about 15 minutes? Give us about two minutes warning, and then we'll go there. What is the most important thing in your life today? Anyone? Huh? Oh, also, can we have the pictures back up here, photographs back up to the table? So what is the most important thing in your life today? So anybody can jump up and answer that. That's real easy for me. As a teenager, be my stereo. But anyway, um, as an adult compulsive overeater, it's my food plan. And, uh, and I don't do it perfectly, but it's my food plan. Without my abstinence, I'm done. Spiritually and emotionally, I'm done. That's it. I started eating. It's over. And I mean that sincerely. So I came into Overeaters Anonymous to lose a lot of weight, and I'm here because I want to keep this weight, and I want to lose about 15, 20 more, but I want the rest off. I came into OA to lose weight. I stayed because I'm going to lose weight. Now, that sounds real superficial. It's not, because if I go back to overeating emotionally and spiritually, I'm just not the same person, period. We used to say in OA that, you know, our... Our, um, our abstinence is contingent on being in a fit spiritual condition. It's the opposite for me, the absolute opposite. My fit spiritual condition is conditioned on my abstinence. Thank you. Well, now that I got my picture, I mean, I focus on like what's the next one thing right in front of me. So, I mean, I got my pictures back, so that, that's over with now. So, I'm back to focusing on, like, you know, um, whatever's next. I mean, my relationship with my, my fiancé is real important to me, um, but the program is also really, um, yeah, it's, it's why I have the life that I have today. You know, without this, I'd be back out there and I'd be 500 pounds or whatever. Um, yeah, I'm grateful that I look at this as a disease I can see, I mean, I don't think in terms of having like a slice of cheesecake. I think in terms of having the Costco class cheesecake. And so I'm grateful for that um, because I can see how my disease would go if I gave up my abstinence. And so that's why it's, you know, one of the most important things in my life. Thank you. Do you think it's really possible to lose over 100 pounds and maintain that loss without doing the HOW program? Yeah. 
Hi, it's Gabrielle again. Um, well, when I lost the 100 pounds and maintained it, how didn't exist yet. And what I found is that, you know, having a food plan is not a diet. And having a food plan is not being a bad person if you think beyond your food plan. Uh, having a food plan is having a plan. You know, it's, as a compulsive overeater, I feel like I am split in two. There's the part of me that knows what's good for me, and then there's my addiction that has a completely different agenda. And what this program has done for me is help me recognize when it's the addiction and when it's that higher part of myself that's connected to my higher power that knows what I need to do to be a fabulous person. And I don't mean, you know, glamorous or whatever. Fabulous means knowing what I'm going to eat, that this is going to be good for my health, and that it is going to be a food plan that does not trigger the addiction. You know, I can't have a food plan that includes sugar because I know even if it's part of a plan, it's going to trigger my addiction. You know, I have learned this about myself in this program. So having a food plan that works to nurture my body, that keeps me from being triggered into the addiction, uh, does work. And it's a matter of education. When I first got into uh, the program, I knew I was sugar and chocolate addicted. And then as time goes on, I have learned to know what it feels like when I'm eating something that is triggering my addiction. By coming to meetings and having a sponsor, I can stay honest about that. And so as time has gone on, I've had to quit other foods because they are part of my addiction. And even though I didn't know that at first, I have come to know that. You know that expression we say, more will be revealed. And more will be revealed in um, many different ways. And so I am a firm believer that um, the more committed I am to my food plan, the less I need to be constrained into it. There is an internal discipline that happens when we work the 12 steps of this program. Part of it is a belief in a higher power that I utilize, and part of it is utilizing my sponsor and coming to meetings and my willingness to be honest. I didn't do the How Food Plan to Lose the you know, 250 Pounds. I um, I did something, um, I mean, there's certain things in how in the how plan that I wouldn't eat now um, that have, like, uh, uh, carbohydrates in them. And there's certain, I also feel like I needed more food. So when I started out, I was eating, um, you know, if I, I, I was eating a lot of protein and vegetables, and if I felt like I needed seconds or thirds, I would take that. And at 475, I was able to eat that much food and still lose, you know, like 10 pounds a month. And after six months, it slowed down a little bit. And so I 
said, okay, no thirds. And then after another six months, I said, okay, no seconds. And then, okay, no bowls. And then it has to fit on one plate. And now I'm down to weighing and measuring uh, most of the time. And, you know, so now I'm eating closer to what normal people eat. I mean, I can, like, pass for normal in the world out there. And um, so I can pass for normal in, like, what I eat when I go to a restaurant most of the time. I mean, I still still turn away the bread. Hi, it's me again. The How Food Plan. I did the How program, and I thought it was just incredible. Um, I don't do the How Food Plan now. I do something very similar. Uh, when I first came in, I did Gray Sheet, which is very similar to that food plan. I can't believe I argued with it, and I'm playing with it again, but uh, that's just my truth. Um, you know, there's many ways of cutting this disease, and, uh, and I don't have an attitude about any way you want to cut it, whether it's weight loss surgery, whether it's Atkins, whether it's how, whether it's gray sheet, uh, food addicts and recovery anonymous, no matter what it is, moderate mealing, vegetarian, I don't care. I mean, I just have no attitude. This is such a hard, hard disease to work and to recover from that I just, I just don't have an attitude about it. If how works for you, go for it. It's just great. If it doesn't, get out of it. You know, I mean, just what it is. Um, and, uh, my wife and I, Shelly, went to Howe for a long time. We really enjoyed it. We did gain a lot of recovery there. It was just a wonderful program. I still go to Howe meetings, and I enjoy the meetings when I do go. And, um, um, and you know, Shelly and I met in Orbeez Anonymous at the Century meeting, actually. And uh, it, was a great, it was a great side benefit of coming to Orbeez Anonymous for me, um, anyway, and to meet the love of your life in a program. And you're both 100 pounders plus sitting there is kind of like kind of cool. And uh, I just really enjoyed that. It's not been an easy marriage, but it's been a good marriage. But any way you cut it, cut it. Because this is just a hard, hard disease. Can you choose a program like Weight Watchers for your abstinence? Do you need a food sponsor if you have a step sponsor from a new person? I'll read it again. Can you choose a program like Weight Watchers for your abstinence and do you need a food sponsor if you have a step sponsor? Um, I would suggest getting a sponsor and talking with them about food and steps. I mean, if you can find somebody who is willing to do that, you know, you don't need to slice it that thin. Um, as far as picking the food plan, I, I don't know. Weight Watchers works for some people. It didn't work for me because I figured out, you know, I mean, I, I lost some weight on it. I, I had like, you know, um, I lost like 70 pounds in a few months. And while I was working at it and counting the points the right way, I was doing okay. But then I figured out how to game the system. I figured out that, you know, there were certain foods that, there were certain brand cereal or something that had zero points. And there was, um, <laughs> I had like Ben and Jerry's and I worked out that that was a, a, a teaspoon of that was worth one point. And I, I'm going to put this in my freezer and I'm going to have like one teaspoon of it. And I went through like 32 points in, you know, an hour. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. If you can, if you can do a, a Weight Watchers plan, more power to you. And, um, more power to you, thank you. <laughs>
real briefly, I hang up with um, people in the program who um, have similar desires. You know, I rotate my food. I don't eat the same food every four days so that I um, get more nutrition um, into my body. It's uh, one of the part of my food plan. And so, you know, there are so many different people who have different food plans. You know, I am... I've created my own food plan with my nutritionist, and um, and so when people are doing Weight Watchers, they hang out together, and and I hang out with you know other people who are doing different things. I mean that's the beauty of Overeaters Anonymous. We find our own group of people where it's helpful, and I really believe that working the 12 steps opens us up to what we ourselves need. And if, if um, Weight Watchers is what you need, that's what you'll open up to. And if it ever changes, then this program will open you up to that. And if it remains the same, the program will open you up to that. That's the beauty of being on a spiritual path. You will eventually find your way if your heart is open. Okay, I'm going to um, sort of roll like six things that are all the same kind of question. I'm going to throw the questions because they're all in the same gamut, but it's can you share how you deal with the extra skin hanging around after the big weight loss? Um, did you require surgery to remove the excess skin? Okay, Don, where's the flab? I can't see any. Um, when you started losing weight, were you worried about the extra skin? Um, and when you're dating or in a relationship, how do you deal with the extra skin? So they're all in the same round. I sent David this email a few days ago telling him we're going to have a gross out the girls thing where we take off, pull up the skin like this. And, um, I'm lucky I'm in a relationship with somebody who, you know, has also is also a century person and so you know she understands that there's like some extra skin out here and you know I'm 48 years old um, I accept my body the way it is and yeah there is there's a lot of extra of it and um, it's not going anywhere and you know that's part of acceptance and acceptance is you know I mean I, I yeah I accept that in my life, I accept the way my job is, I accept the way my son is, I accept the things in my life. I've lost about 250 pounds and I feel like a Sharpay when I'm naked. <laughs> if you know what those dogs are, you know, I have, I have so many shells, you know, uh, my wife and I, God love us both, I came in, we were an almost 800-pound couple, so we have enough skin for burn banks forever. Um, and uh, I can't sell my hair anymore, but uh, I could certainly sell skin. Uh, I, you know, like, like Don, uh, I'm involved with somebody who is another co very large compulsive overeater. And so the two of us, we, <laughs> there's a lot of skin, um, and you just make it work. And, and it's just, uh, it, it, I... I must admit, you know, we're going to Calistoga in a couple of months, and I, I must admit that when we go now, it, it's very different. I, I, it's not that I have a lot of shame around it, but I do feel a little more freaky uh, in my bathing suit than I did when I was all filled up. 
When I was all filled up, I was just all filled up. Um, and now I just, I just look very different, um, <laughs> very odd, very unusual in a bathing suit uh, compared to the all filled up person. Um, and uh, kind of like, I, I, you know, Shelly and I always joke that in the morning, Shelly's lost a tremendous amount of weight, too. And, and, and it's, like, it's like in the morning, it's like we should iron ourselves before we leave the, before we leave the apartment, you know, get a steam iron. Uh, um, I, I'm, I'm going to be six years old February 11th, and you know what? I, I have some narcissism, not enough to possibly lose my life on a surgical table to get some skin cut off. And, uh, you know, just for a nice set of tatas, it ain't worth it, you know. Let me see. I'm very tall, so 100 pound is really not as much as um, I used to sponsor a woman that lost 100 pound who came up to here. And I used to tell her, your 100 pounds is a lot more than mine. And uh, I was blessed with very elastic skin, so I hardly even have stretch marks. And um, in some ways, <laughs> so in some ways, it's what has kept me abstinent is I know, you know, I'm not one that went out, in, out. I just went out once. <laughs> you know, for a long time. So when I lost the weight, the skin came with me. And so in in some ways, I want to honor that by staying abstinent because I know if I went out and shrunk again, it would be over. And and so, um, you know, that's, that's what happened to me. Uh, my weight sort of expanded evenly all over. And so, you know, it shrunk evenly all over, I guess. <laughs> but um, just very quickly, one of the things that um, I want to say is that everyone's skin is different and what's in our skin is different. It's what's in our heart is what's most important because that's really what we transmit in the in in the. In the end, that's what really matters. And a lot of people in my life way back then can't remember me being a hundred pound heavier because I had a heart connection with them. Thank you very much, all of you. Uh, we have time for just a few shares. I'm going to ask if you could just do two minute shares. And what you'll be doing is looking over there for the time to stop sign, and that will really mean it's time to stop so we can get a few shares in. Um, if you come up to share, you need to sign this release form. Um, so I'll leave the pen in the release form. This is so that you're going to be recorded no matter what. So don't come up if you don't want to be recorded because we can't turn it on and off. You will get recorded. Just sign here and they'll release you from any stuff in the future or them from the future. So uh, right now, if you'd like to come up and share two minutes each, uh, we'll take a few. Hi, my name is G, and I'm a compulsive eater. Hi, um, A year ago, 
year and a half ago, wait, <laughs> timeline's getting mixed up. Um, I've released um, 100 pounds, and um, I have to say the, the skin thing was really tough and is tough on me, but I just, um, there are people that every time that I have a concern about it, every time that I don't want to move forward because of it, or feel shame about it, I'm able to talk about it in a way. And um, and it is, and yet I feel like my life is so much more that what's a little skin. Um, I couldn't release any weight um, unless I was working the steps, unless I was opening myself up to other people, showing um, my fear, my resentment, my pain, um, and just learning how to be a real person, more authentic each day. Um, and I, over the last year, I gained 20 pounds and then uh, have released it again, so it wasn't perfect. Um, and I came into this program thinking that it wouldn't work for me, that it would work for all of you. and. Um, that I was too angry, that my parents had been too regulative of my weight, and uh, I used to enjoy driving them crazy by going up and down and up and down. It was just my little way of messing with them. And so I was going to mess with all of you by doing the same thing, and I was like, oh, no, this is a nightmare. And, um, and by the way, I didn't really, I came in and I didn't want to lose weight. I just wanted to stop eating so much that I was um, getting sick at night and somehow this program has transformed so much of my life and has given me a life back and um, you know doing a step four step five six seven all of that was really really hard work and um, yet the benefits are like a hundredfold um, and I just want to uh, thank everyone in this program. There are people here that have um, that have shared their lives with me, their experience, strength, and hope. And um, I just didn't think it was possible. I just I thought I was one of those unfortunates. And um, it's there's uh, it's possible for everyone. And uh, baby steps worked really really well for me. My first food plan was. Um, just don't binge on a sheet cake and um, and three and thank you very much and now I'm able to actually have a food plan that seems normal. Thanks so much. I'm Nancy. I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm so grateful for this meeting. Um, I, I've lost 100 pounds, and I um, thought I'd address a couple of the questions because um, I have had some experience. When I first came into the program, I used Weight Watchers as my food plan, and my sponsor was very supportive of that. She was like, you can use any food plan you want, you know, whatever works for you and your higher power. And that did work for me for probably the first 60 pounds I lost or something. 
I, and then I found that focusing on every little ounce I lost or if I gained a pound or whatever was not helpful for me. And so I kind of just let go of the outcome because I had, uh, when you weigh 257 pounds, you know, 200 pounds sounds really good. And uh, when you're wearing a size 24, you know, 18 sounds really good. And so I had, you know, kind of ideas about what I should weigh and how, how soon I should weigh out. And I'm sure nobody else in this room has ever done that, you know, where you say, okay, if I lose two pounds a week, blah, 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 by this time I'll be a certain weight. Uh, and so I, I was fo- kind of focused on all that. And, and, and after a while, the Weight Watcher program kind of kept me focused on that, uh, about what my weight was. And I had to let go of that. And I had to let go to my higher power about what my weight was. And it was so amazing because when I let go of that and I just used a food plan that had come up, and it was you know, kind of an adaption of probably what Weight Watchers was. And I do eat breads and I do eat sugar. And it's like I, in my higher power and my food plan is just moderate. I have three meals a day and, and one snack that's a planned snack every afternoon. And that works for me. Um, but what was amazing is that when I let go of how much I should weigh, you know, and I was kind of going, oh, is it going to be 180 pounds or 175? All of a sudden, it was like 157. Uh, and the weight just took care of itself when I let it go. And when I turned it over to my higher power, it was actually less than I expected. Um, and then I did have a whole bunch of skin. as The skin thing came up. And I had been one of those people who just gained weight, lost weight, gained weight, lost weight. And so I, uh, I did have the surgery that removed some of your skin. Um, and that worked well for me. I, it lifted what needed to be lifted and took off what didn't need to be around my waist. And, um, and that was helpful for me. Uh, it kind of just gave me a fresh start, and I, I was glad I did it. Um, but the biggest thing I found is that it really isn't about my weight, it's which I thought it was when I first came in the rooms. And it's about my healing of my heart and my spiritual life. And the steps is what did it. So the steps is what helped me lose the weight. But this, what I gained was some uh, serenity and some perspective on my life that gives me a way to live. Thanks. We just have one last question. And by the way, there was a lot of questions that didn't get answered. Thank you for putting the ask it basket. Please see our speakers as the convention unfolds. Thank you. I'm Bob, a compulsive overeater. I used to weigh uh, 425 pounds. And I need to come to these meetings to remember that. Um, I was interested in the talk about about, uh, having a stroke. I've never had a stroke, but I have a close friend that I'm going to see tomorrow. That I really kind of wrote him off, uh, but he's his, his poor wife is just crazy now uh, because he's confined to uh, no anyway. Uh, Weight Watchers, I've had to get my wife involved in this program. I've been in the program 26 years, 25 years. Uh, Top weight was, like I say, 425. I've been down as low as probably uh, 220. I got out of the Army. I weighed 200. 
I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to weigh. Doctors have told me that that uh, they uh, I have to get the weight down before they can replace my uh, hip, and then the, then after that two knees, and then after that the shoulder. I'm 70 years old. I know what it feels like to break down. <clears throat> it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good to be on medication for pain. My food plan is it's just really different. I, I don't follow up. Uh, I'm on what they call the core program in, the, in Weight Watchers, but I'm, my heart is in a way. My wife is doing really well. She's doing really, really well in, in that program, and we go together. And that is, you know, I can talk about a lot of things. Uh, the higher power was something that happened to me quite suddenly, and. It was, it was just like, gee, what happened, you know? And boy, did I eat over it. I didn't understand what was happening. You know, and then I feel very spiritually involved with my higher power. And I feel that he's using me to help other people. I go out on 12-step work. I do things with the, with the church in my understanding. Uh, thank you. I understand. I have to give up. Time is up. Oh, I thought that said something else. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Let us thank our speakers again, Son, Gabrielle, and David. As we said, not all answered questions got answered, so please see them throughout the convention. Let's join hands and finish with um, this. Not, what are we finishing with here? Oh, I put my hand in yours. I put my hand in yours, and together we can do what we could never do alone. No longer is there a sense of hopelessness. No longer must we each depend upon our own unsteady willpower. We are all together now, reaching out our hands for power and strength greater than ours. And as we join hands, we find love and understanding beyond the wildest dreams. Keep coming back, it works when you work it, when you work it. Can we please have all the pens back up here as well? Thank you.